Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Proverbs chapter 1. Actually, uh, there was a, a, a long time ago when I was in uh, uh, college, I spent a good deal of money on uh, uh, tapes from the Hidden Man of Bookstore, which is a Christian bookstore. Uh, I think I spent all of my uh, money. And one of the uh, tapes I got was from a, a rap group called Twelfth Tribe. And they actually had this set of scripture in one of their songs. And uh, forever and a day, because I listened to that music 24 7. Uh, and I remember this particular one. In fact, I, I told the kids yesterday, but not in the context of a rap song. I just happened to throw it out there. We are in chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools? Hate knowledge. If you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen and stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord, but have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways, and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by the turning of, by turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and be at ease without dread of disaster. Not quite flowery words this morning. Uh, a little bit uh, hard to hear. I think if, we, if we're if we honest about it, uh, those of us that have children uh, uh, and have seen them grow up and, and move on into adult life, um, we hope that they will take upon them the wisdom that we have given them over the years. We hope that as adults they uh, will exude wisdom, the things we have passed down. Uh, many times my father would say certain things, and I'm sure you guys have a lexicon of phrases that you have used over the years. Use your more than uh, use your more for more than use your head for more than a hat rack, as my dad would say. You know, um, think before you speak. Certain things like that. I imagine if I asked you and polled you today, you would have a series of wisdom words that you would use with your kids. If I was to pull the kids in here, you would have things that you know that your parents said over and over and over again. There was one, there was a book called Stuff My Dad Says. Now take the word stuff and replace it with the actual words. And uh, I'll read you, they're a little salacious, but some of of the things the guy says in here are quite funny. He says, you worry too much. Eat some bacon. What? No. I I got no idea if it'll make you feel any better. I just made too much bacon. He goes on to say, you're 10 years old now. You have to take a shower every day. I don't give a whatever if you hate it. People hate smelly people. 
I will not have a smelly person for a son. Wisdom. Wisdom. We as parents, we as, as siblings, we as family members and friends, we all want to pass along the things that help us have a flourishing life. And wisdom is the source of flourishing. To know how to act in a particular situation, to know how to handle things that come your way, to do the right thing at the right time is wisdom. And we hope for that. We hope for that. I think this morning, I think it's important for us to recognize that uh, this particular set of scripture is all about wisdom and what happens when you don't listen to wisdom. The wisdom of God is critical for the flourishing of mankind. I remember my first job and my first paycheck. And I remember that it was wise for me to be able to save that money so that I could drive my parents' car. And to spend it on anything else would have been unwise. Maybe you've had a similar situation. Maybe you've had kids who have gotten their first job and rather than being wise with it, went out and blew it on candy or tapes in my you know, experience. There are at least three things this morning that we want to make sure that we get out of today's scripture. One of them, the first one, is the cry of wisdom. And we ask, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom as in God's scripture is God's way of sharing with us how to do life well. The things that uh, we learn in Scripture a lot of times are religious in nature. A lot of times they are legal in nature. Uh, they tell us how that we ought to have a relationship with God and each other. But wisdom is the nitty-gritty. Wisdom are the small things that fill in the blanks between, God, between a relationship with God and relationship with other people. Wisdom is the how-to. It is the uh, idiot's guide to whatever. Because on our own, we do not have wisdom. On our own, we do not have common sense. It's a misnomer to call common sense common sense because it's not necessarily very common. Otherwise, we'd do it. If you saw the dog leave a nice package for you at the top of the stairs, wisdom says pick it up. But in my experience, people step over it and don't clean it up. Wisdom says don't leave the refrigerator door open. Wisdom says do not run with scissors. Wisdom says, do not turn all your lights on in the house at night or leave them on during the day. But how does it make itself known? In the scriptures, we find that wisdom is not something that we just receive from the ether. It's not as if we have a burning bush outside or a wisdom shack where we could just go in and get some. Wisdom makes itself known by God giving people through revelation how to do life. It makes itself known through words. And at least there are three types of words in this, this section of Scripture we read today. One is words of instructions. How to do things right. As parents, we teach our kids how to change the oil in their car. How do you do that? Well, there is a step, series of steps on how you do that. In the wisdom of God here, there are wisdom words of instructions. How to do. But also there are words of correction. How to make things better. You're doing this wrong. You're doing it wrong. You undid the nut on the drain pan before you put the bowl underneath it so you catch the oil. Now the oil is all squishing out. What do we do better? Words of correction, but also words of counsel. Here's how to not make the same mistake twice. This is what encapsulates the wisdom, especially we find in the Proverbs. Proverbs is a giant book full of, of generalized truths, things that are generally true for most times. 
cry of wisdom. It says here in the scriptures that it stands at the head of the noisy streets in the public places and it cries out and says, here's how life ought to be done. You want to have a flourishing life? Here's how it's done. And the promise of that wisdom is impartation to us. That we would be able to live in such a way that to avoid most calamities, to avoid most problems. If we were to heed the wisdom of God, we would find a life that was far more flourishing than if we just did it on our own. And then there's the impartation, not only of wisdom in us, but also the impartation of security and safety. I know that if I follow God's wisdom in certain situations, I will avoid those things. I will avoid all avoidable pain. Yesterday I went mountain biking uh, and I had this idea in my mind that I am far better at it than I actually am. And I got up on the mountain and I always seem to turn at the wrong place. And so usually mountain biking is mountain bike pushing rather than mountain bike riding. And so I finally get to a certain place where I can actually go downhill, which is exciting to me because I want to go down and I want to go fast, at least in my mind. But there's something that takes over called fear. And I see suddenly, uh, if you're walking along an incline, it looks not as steep. But when you're on a bike, kind of perched over the front wheel, and you look and you go, I'm going to die. And old dudes are passing you faster than you can ride the bike. Wisdom says, get off and walk. When you're afraid, walk. And so I did, just because I knew that I wanted a flourishing life, or at least make it back to the car and be able to drive home. God's wisdom is to give us the words for a flourishing life. But the problem is, is this. The problem is, is that we really don't want the wisdom. As children of our parents, when our parents speak to us, there is something amazing and, and, and mystical that happens to a child when his parents begin to speak. If it doesn't say in the beginning, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks, it's as if the shields go up and the lights go out and they look at you with this blank stare that says... I'm somewhere else. And wisdom may be flowing out of your mouth in waves and flowery words and they just may be going, man, I'd really like to go back to my room right now and stare at my iPad. The problem with wisdom is us. And the scriptures tell us here, it says, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will you scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? When we look at the scriptures, we ask our questions, well, what does it mean by simple? What does it mean to be a simpleton? It simply means naive. It simply means someone who is easily swayed. It is someone who has no particular anchor onto a particular thing and is easily moved to whatever feels right. I'm reminded of the song by Sheryl Crow. If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. I think simplicity in terms of, of what it says here as an enemy of wisdom is whatever makes you feel good at that particular moment. And if the wisdom I have for you does not, well, I may not choose that. It's like a balloon floating in the breeze and just kind of moves whichever which way it goes. It's no longer anchored or moored to a particular solid foundation. It just goes wherever. An enemy of wisdom is being simple being moved by personal pleasure at the core of my being. And they reject it because wisdom runs counter to simplistic living. You see, hard choices and difficult choices are things that say, I have to do what may not feel right or feel good to me at this moment, but will pay dividends later. 
the simplicity or the simple life simply goes, I'm living in the moment. And whatever feels good now is what matters. Personal sacrifice doesn't play into this simplistic sort of way of living. Rather, personal pleasure and what I get out of it matters more. But as if we're talking about a descent from one place to another, from a sort of an, a slight enemy of wisdom all the way down, it's like a descending staircase. And the next level below is a scoffer. How long will you scoffers delight in scoffing? I love the old school words. What does scoffer mean? I think it really means that those who love doling out criticism more than anything. When you live a carefree life and you have no mooring and you're just kind of floating along to whatever does best, when you look back and you look at others who are making wise choices, rather than rejoicing and going, oh, I wish I was back there because they have a flourishing life, you turn and instead are angry. You become hypercritical of them saying things like, the simple are better off. A scoffer is one who says the simple who begin to do wrong will come to sneer at what is doing what is right. They become loud, obnoxious talkers, proud and haughty. Reminds me of people who are on political talk radio sometimes. It's the same feeling. If you ever get a chance to watch Bill Maher on HBO. Bill Maher, uh, while, uh, while I don't agree with a lot of what he says in general the feeling that he brings is of scoffing of mockery of looking at the wisdom of others and saying no it doesn't align with me so therefore it's wrong scoffing it's characterized by people who are uncorrectable maybe you know somebody like that somebody who says I'm always in the right I'm always right and the wisdom what you're doing seems completely off the, uh, off kilter and out of whack even though it may be aligning with the way God does things and wants us to do things but they may look at you they go wait a minute you give money to a church that seems completely stupid wait a minute you get up on a Sunday morning and go to church that seems stupid living the flourishing life living the wise life becomes an object of scoffing, an object of ridicule for those who are scoffers. You see, because wisdom offends them. See, rather than listening and evaluating, they are content to sneer and deride and to stand off and afar and to gather their, their, their flock together and go look at those idiots over there doing whatever they're doing, living that quote-unquote wise life. See, wisdom outside of themselves is considered to be an intruder. It's a foreigner. It's an alien. It's an affront to their self-sufficiency. It's an affront to them being their own best savior. Scoffers. But as if that wasn't bad enough, we have the simple, we have the scoffer, and then once you reach full-hardened state of anti-wisdom, the Bible calls this a fool. I'm not talking about a fool in the sense of, you know, a court jester with, you know, the funky hat and the bells and then dancing around acting like an idiot. The fool is far more serious in terms of what the Bible talks about. This is the end of the line. This is the hardened state. This is a state of mental stupidity, of moral obstinacy. It's a, a dogged godlessness becomes deaf to wisdom and knowledge. In your household, you may have had a, a, a child who has gone wayward. You may have had an experience where you've seen a sister or a brother go off the rails. They may have uh, uh, eschewed your parents' wisdom over the time and over uh, 
decades and have just cut the ties and said, I wish you were dead. I'm out of here. I will no longer listen to you. I have my way of doing things and I will not, by any stretch of the imagination, pay attention to you anymore. This is fool. This is the prodigal son, as Jesus says. This is the person who says, no longer will I listen to anything you have to say. I am cut off. See, they hate knowledge. They hate knowledge because they hate it because it corrects them. It shows them where they've gone wrong. It shows them where they have messed up. It shows them where they went right, where they should have gone left. It shows them that they, uh, uh, they uh, haven't built their house square. Many, many years ago, I attempted to build a deck in the backyard. And I did build it. But if you looked at it the wrong way, it wasn't quite square. There were some places where it was a little cattywampus and looked more like a rumba than a square or a rectangle for that matter. I learned that I'd forgotten to buy the simple thing called a T-square, which is a beautiful piece of aluminum that simply shows you whether or not you've done it correctly. Wisdom is like that. And so the fool, the T-square, is, is the enemy. How dare you tell me that this is off-center and not correct, not level, and bows like this. How dare you tell me that my life does not meet the standards which you have? How dare you? Wisdom. It's the word of the fool. It's one of the consequences. As we're making down this descending staircase of, of hatred, of wisdom, what happens? Well, generally speaking, living unwise will end up in calamity. Generally speaking. It talks about here that calamity comes upon those who are foolish, like a whirlwind, like a terror in the storm full of distress and anguish and they are forced to eat the fruit of their ways and fill of their own devices. When I was in college, I, I had a, 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 an idea that uh, if the bank slip from the ATM says you had money in it, you had money in it. Even if you'd written a bunch of checks that against that money because the bank don't lie, right? Well, I quickly learned through a series of calamities that uh, I was wrong. And I had to go home and ask my parents for money. I had to go home and, and, and rectify the situation. I had to go home and correct the mistake I had made. Calamity comes upon us when we live foolishly, generally speaking. Yes, I know there are exceptions. I know that there are people in our culture that live foolishly constantly and it's as if nothing bad ever happens to them. Don't wait for that to happen for them. As if to say, you know, aha, that'll take care of itself when it takes care of itself. But generally speaking, the degree of calamity is a representative of how far down the scale of foolishness we've come. Simple mistakes, living simply, sometimes those calamities and those consequences aren't nearly as bad as when you're a scoffer of wisdom or when you become a fool. The degree of calamity and the degree of, of destruction is usually parallel to where you're at in terms of what you think about wisdom. And wisdom does a funny thing here, and I know this is hard for us to hear, but wisdom laughs at us. With the T-square, could have been by the deck, and I had put it up, if there was a laugh track, that thing would have laughed at me, and it would still be laughing at me, and that's why I eventually we tore it down, but 
Wisdom laughs in a, in a way, the scriptures tell us. It gives us this idea that it says, listen, you blew it. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. Wisdom comes at us and corrects us in a way that gets our attention. It says that wisdom mocks us when we blow it. When we've lived a foolish way, when we've chosen our own, when we've chosen to cut twice and measure once. See, failure to heed makes wisdom vindicated. And in our foolish state, we hate when other people are right because it forces us to reevaluate our understanding of what is right and what is wrong. It's almost like a giant, I told you so. And we hate that. Don't get me wrong. I live with uh, uh, one teenage kid and one almost teenage kid. And you know what this is like. We all, as kids, we hated when our parents would tell us things. And And when mom and dad were correct, you didn't want to listen to it. Years down the line, when you become a parent, or become a caretaker of your parents, suddenly their wisdom makes sense. And again, you're forced to go, Mom and Dad were right. And that's horrible, and that hurts, and that's a terrible place for us to be. So where's the hope? Where's the hope in all this? See, if we go back to the beginning of the Scripture this morning, we find that wisdom is crying out. It is not a one-time thing. It's not as, as if this was a, uh, 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 an event in a park somewhere and wisdom stood on a stage and cried out for 10 minutes and then walked away and went to the next city. No, wisdom continually cries out. It's as if God's grace does not give up on us and doesn't stop. It keeps saying things like, listen to me. If you want the flourishing life, you must listen to me. What I have to say will help you, not hurt you. See, wisdom doesn't stop beckoning to us. It's constant. It's like a siren that never goes off. And the only thing that, we, that prevents us from hearing it is the cacophony of the noise in which we surround ourselves in. If you notice the wisdom cries out in the noisy streets at the head of the, no- of the marketplace. But then it goes to the gates where it is quiet. And the only place you can go is you have to be able to shut yourself off from all of the distraction and hear what wisdom says. Because it's like a fire alarm. It's like the CO2 detector. It's like the check engine light in your car. Wisdom continually cries out. It never stops until the day that we're done. It is constantly beckoning us to realign ourselves to the way God choose, the way God has uh, given us, so that we might have the best life possible. And how does that start then? Well, if you read the very beginning of the scriptures, of the beginning of. of Uh, Proverbs, it actually tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And now for some of us, we hear the word fear, but let me kind of give it to you in a different way. Living appropriately before God is the beginning of wisdom. And God gives us the appropriate ways for us to live aligned to His way. In in the square, T-square sort of way, He says, this is how you need to align your life for the best life that you could possibly have. Fear of the Lord. The correction of wisdom is to all bring us back to a place uh, of the essence of wisdom. Living appropriately before God. Fearing Him above all else. He is the standard And my job is to align myself into his standard, to fit into his mold, not make myself fit or him fit into mine. 
See, God has set up such a world in a way that provides for our best human flourishing. On our own, left to our own devices, we tend to twist and wreck it and make it completely something that it should never have been, even with our best intentions. So God's wisdom comes in and helps set things to right, even if that means tearing down what you had in order to build it correctly. And the beginning is of all that is acknowledging that God is the one who set this whole thing up to begin with. I figure he's the one who made the instructions, so I ought to align my life with his. And we ought to listen to him. The problem is, is that none of us on our own will seek God. The psalmist says that. There's no one that seeks God. But rather, it is God himself who seeks us and brings us back to the ultimate reality. It's as if God has come into the backyard of my life and looked at the deck that I had made and says, Son, appreciate the effort, but it's wrong. I understand that you got all the right materials and you had it all right, but it's wrong. And the only way to correct this is to destroy it completely and start over. And I will give you the tools to do it. I'm not going to let just this pile of of pressure-treated wood sit in the backyard and and brown the grass and destroy your property value. No, I'm going to come in and I'm going to build it with you. It's as if wisdom, as if God's presence comes in and says, listen, I'm going to help you build this thing right. Not just so that it can be a beautiful thing, but so that it glorifies me. A life that is flourishing points to the glory of God. See, the problem is that we are all like the simple in some degree. We are all like the scoffer. And some of us are all like the fool. We are all in degrees of rebellion against what God wants. However, He does come after us. I love how Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep. He says that there was a shepherd and he lost one sheep. So he left the 99 and he went after the one. Well, we are all the one. And God in his mercy comes after us. He steps into our worlds and says, let's build this better. Let me show you how to live the flourishing life. Let me show you how I lived appropriately in front of God, Jesus says, so that you might be like me. And the Spirit, according to Jesus' promise, will come in and make His home in us, that we might have His wisdom with us continually. So what do we do? How do we take these words today, which admittedly are a bit harsh at times? First, I want to tell you this. Wisdom will not insulate us from all disaster. It will not protect us from all calamity, terror, or fear. Wisdom would not protect me from the possibility of falling off the mountain yesterday and crashing and burning, dislocating my shoulder or causing my eye to fall out of my head. Because those are all possibilities. But wisdom says, listen, ride right, respect your speed, and then all else fails, get off and walk. Wisdom does the same thing for us. It does not insulate us from the possibility of things going wrong. Don't get me wrong here. When I say the flourishing life, I don't mean some sort of, you know, uh, uh, prosperity gospel out there that says if you just give enough and you just do this right and you sow seeds and you'll be fine. No, that's not what it says here. It says you'll be fine in the midst of those things. It's not a shield or promise, but it's wisdom heeded will lead us, generally speaking, to a flourishing life. If you spend less than you make, we generally have more from when disaster strikes. These are God's words. These are God's nitty-gritty things to tell us how to live right, to live a flourishing life. 
For those who have been made alive by Christ, by his loving sacrifice, here's what I would say to you this morning. God has provided for all you need for a flourishing life. A life that has security in the storms and safety within the terror. I love that line from The uh, Force Awakens. No, it wasn't The Force Awakens. It was the Rogue One, Star Wars movie. Yeah, the blind guy with the staff. He would, when he'd walk out into the middle of the, of the battle, he'd go, I'm one with the force, the force is one with me, or something along those lines. And he repeated this along the way because he knew that he knew in his knower that the force was with him. Well, I think about the way Jesus said, Christ is in me, I am in Christ. And when I walk through the terror fields and when I walk through the calamities that I'm going to face, I know I have him with me forever and he will guide me into all that I need to do in order to make it out of whatever I'm in. See, he's given us the answers to the hard questions of life, the nitty-gritty, earthy, relational questions, how to handle money, how to handle success, how to handle failure, how to forgive, how to not hold grudges, how to have uh, a great family, how to have proper uh, sexual relations, work, play, religion. These are all things that God has given us in his scripture to help us with the flourishing life. And I would encourage you, if you're curious about what to do next, spend time in His Word. And God will speak to you in those words. Seek His wisdom and then follow it. It's not just good enough to read it in and hope you make it. Read and obey and do what He says. For those who may not know Him yet or those who may be feeling really lost right now, He still seeks people. He does not give up on us. One of the, I think C.S. Lewis once said that Jesus is like the hound of heaven. He always is after you. I, was, I can't remember what, it's, uh, what character it was, but he always gets his man. He always gets his woman. He always comes for you. Calamity and terror, though, and disaster are also ways that God gets our attention. Even if we are Christians, we find that in the worst times in calamity and crisis, it's as if God is getting our attention through them. Crisis makes, re-eva- makes us reevaluate the way we've been doing life. Crisis enables us to ask for help. And God is always at the ready to resurrect that which is dead in us.